Bibles. Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online and also our friends wishing you a Merry Christmas, our friends at Arco, Idaho, and also at the Hangar in Montana. We are so glad that you are joining us for this study as well this morning. Now, today we pivot towards Christmas. And most of the morning here and the evening at Claremont at 5 o'clock is going to be spent looking at some exciting new discoveries in astronomy and in history that give us more clues about what the Bethlehem star really was. And these are some exciting new discoveries, new perspectives on it that I'm so excited to share with you. And I'll do some this morning, get deeper into it uh, this evening. If you really want to get deeply into it, there's a website at the end of the study outline. You can go to that website. You can get a part, you can get a hold of the video that I'll show part of uh, here at the end of my message. Or the website has all kinds of additional information if you want to dig in deeper on this. Now, this morning, before we get to the star, I want to talk for a few minutes about the date of Christmas, December 25th, because more and more I'm getting questions from people that will ask me. Every year they'll come up and say, my buddy at work says that you guys just worship Jesus on a pagan holiday, and, uh, or, or questions uh, like that. And, and so they'll accuse us of adopting a pagan holiday, and, and it is true that around that time period or on that time period, there were Roman uh, festivals, there were Roman feasts to honor the sun, S-U-N. It was around the time of the winter solstice when the sun was the, at the minimum in the sky. Uh, that's when it was darkest, the days were longest, and so they would have these festivals to beg the sun god to come back once again. Now, all they needed to do was just move to Southern California. That's all they had to do, and it would have taken care of the problem. But people will say, well, you just adopted a pagan holiday. When was Jesus born? Luke 2 says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. But it doesn't have a date that's connected there. Many things in the Bible do have a date like his death and resurrection. We know the dates of those because it talks about it in Passover and things like that. But this one does not have a date. Now, for the first three centuries of the church, they didn't celebrate Jesus' birthday in December. They didn't, it was nowhere on the Christian calendar. At first, it was lumped in with something called Epiphany that was celebrated on January 6th. Now, why was Epiphany uh, such a big deal to the early church? This is very interesting. It's the day that the Gentiles were first introduced by Jesus as represented by the wise men, the Magi, coming to meet Jesus for the first time. And you see, in the early church, they were just so thrilled that Gentiles, non-Jews, got to be, get in on this Jesus thing. They were so thrilled that their big holiday of the year was when the wise men first arrived, which was after the birth of Jesus, as we're going to see. When the wise men first arrived, that was their big day because that's when it broke loose from the Jewish nation to the Gentiles to the non-Jews as well. So for the first three centuries, if it was celebrated at all, it would be lumped in with Epiphany on January 6th. Now, some early church leaders thought that it was wrong to try to honor Jesus on his birthday. Origen, who lived around 200 AD, said it was wrong to honor Christ like Pharaoh and Herod. Back then, it was a big deal when Herod's birthday was and when Pharaoh's birthday was. And so Origen argued that birthdays were for pagan gods, not for Jesus, not for followers of the one true God. But many other church leaders disagreed. They said there's nothing wrong with trying to figure out when Jesus' birthday was and to honor him on that particular day. 
Now, some of the early ones centered around some of the early guesses around the springtime because of one little clue, and it's not an airtight clue, but it is a little bit of a clue in Luke 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And so some people would say, well, that must have been in the springtime because that's when the lambs were out in the fields and the shepherds would be out there as well. But that's not airtight. It doesn't mean it couldn't be other times. It's just a possible clue that that may have been the time. Clement of Alexandria, who lived around 200 AD, his favorite was May 20th. But he noted in his early writings that some other people preferred April 18th, April 19th, and May 28th. Hippolytus, who lived around the same time, thought it should be January 2nd. Others chose dates like November 17th, November 20th, and March 25th. December 25th is mentioned very, very early, possibly earlier than all of those, as early as Theophilus of Antioch around 171 AD. So it was mentioned very early in 171 AD. It was made the official uh, time to celebrate Jesus' birth in the western part of the Roman Empire in A.D. 336. And 336 A.D. is when it was made official in the western part of the Roman Empire and in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. They continued for a while with January 6th, but many of them assimilated into January 25th, began to celebrate it then as well. With the exception of the church in Armenia, which I believe even to the current time continues to celebrate on January 6th. And Amir Atala, uh, one of our deacons right here on the front, uh, he, uh, he is um, from Egypt, and he tells me that the Coptic church in Egypt continues to celebrate on January 7th. Is that right, Amir? I think that's what he said, January 7th. So there have been some exceptions, but most uh, will tend to go around the world with uh, December 25th. Now, um, uh, Really, all of these things uh, that were added later on, things like gift giving or greenery or lights or charity or yule logs and various foods that were added later on, we have to admit that some of those were assimilations of pagan customs, like Germanic tribes as the Roman Empire expanded into Germania and, and, and places like that. But Paul writes in Romans 14 and takes all of this off the table as far as something to argue about as Christians. He said, it's a moot point. You do as the Lord leads you, and and it's okay if one person is led in one direction and somebody else in another direction. It's not in your study outline, but let me just read for you Romans 14, verses 4 through 6. And it's there on PowerPoint, or you can jot this down to look at later on. Romans 14, verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so as unto the Lord. And so if you have uh, people that are on your case saying that the only day God should be worshipped is, for example, Saturday, as opposed to most Christians choose Sunday, it's the first day of the week when Jesus rose from the grave. It's a non-issue in Scripture. 2,000 years ago, Paul settled this. The same thing with regard to Christmas or any other holiday that we might have. It is a non-issue within Scripture. Now, through the centuries, Christians have chosen one of two approaches when it comes to non-Christian customs. Okay, back then they called it pagan customs. Today we call it non-Christian holidays or non-Christian customs.
customs. They've gone one or two directions. Sometimes they separate completely and say, we don't want to celebrate that because it's not uh, biblical to celebrate that, and so we're going to do something entirely different. And then other Christians choose to adopt it and to transform it into something that is Christ-honoring. Here's an excellent example from today. It's Halloween. Okay, Christians have two different approaches on Halloween. Some Christians will say, you know what, that's Satan's holiday, it's the devil's holiday, I don't want anything to do with it, and so they don't celebrate, they do something totally different that day. Others, for example, many within our church, we choose to adopt it and then to transform it. And so we started the Hallelujah Party years ago, which is one of our most effective outreaches to our community, to share Jesus, to make connections with our immediate neighborhood and community, taking something that may be honored by Satan, adopting it, transforming it, and making it something that God can use. And so that was the attitude of many Christians through the years as well. One theologian from 320 AD writes this, we hold this day, meaning December 25th as Christmas, to be holy, not like the pagans because of the birth of the sun, S-U-N, but because of him who made it. That is, we took the holiday around the time. I'm not saying they adopted it. May or may not have. There's evidence they didn't, that they came up with this for other reasons, legitimate reasons, because that very well may have been the date of Jesus' birth, as I'm going to share in a few minutes here. But they took it, and they didn't do it to honor because it was in the same time as the winter solstice or these other Roman festivals, the S-U-N, but the S-O-N who created the S-U-N. Uh, Ambrose, a great church leader around the early 300s A.D., or late 300 A.D.s, writes, Christ is the true Son who outshone the fallen gods of the old order. Isn't that a great quote? Christ is the true Son who outshone the fallen gods of the old order. Paul writes in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, either by doing something entirely separate or by taking something, adopting it, and transforming it into something that God can use. Now, here are two takeaways from this. Uh, number one, we don't really know when the birth date was for Jesus' birth, but we don't need to feel guilty if many Christians through the centuries have chosen a particular date and worship him on that. We don't know the date, however... There is some interesting new information that I want to share with you this morning and go more in depth on uh, this evening with regard to the Bethlehem star. It all starts with a guy by the name of Johannes Kepler and his three laws of planetary motion. He lived around 1600 AD. He's one of the greatest mathematicians, one of the greatest scientists of all time. He was a committed follower of Christ. He said that in his scientific inquiry, quote, I was thinking God's thoughts after him. And he was a committed follower of Jesus. And so he came up with his laws of planetary motion, whereby you can tell where the planets have been in the past. You can tell on a certain date, if you just run it backwards, exactly where they are. And you can tell in the future where they're going to be. These laws of planetary motion that Kepler came up with, uh, NASA uses today. When they launch a rocket, all they do is take the math and the principles of Kepler. And they just put it into computer software. And so they know when they launch a rocket and they point it somewhere and it's, it's there in two or three years, boom, there the planet is to land on Mars or whatever the probe might be landing on. And so we still use these today. Now, Kepler, as a committed Christian, immediately thought about the Bethlehem star. And he said, oh, this is so awesome. 
I think that's the word he used. He said, this is so cool. We can run this backwards and try to find the Bethlehem star. And he wrote two books on the subject. Now, uh, he came up with some pretty good theories, and they might very well be right. They're based on what I consider possible out-of-date information, as I'm going to share with you in just a moment. Um, But he he thought that it might be a conjunction between Saturn and Jupiter. Conjunction means when two planets are close together or next to each other in the sky. The technical term for conjunction means uh, when they are the same celestial longitude. But for general purposes, it just means when two stars are conjunctive, are next to each other within the night sky. And so he came up with a conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn about 7 B.C., Now, it all goes back to an historian, a famous historian, Jewish historian, by the name of Flavius Josephus. And he was born in 37 AD, died somewhere around 100 AD. And in his writings, it seemed to indicate, and most most scholars still would go with this, I believe, that King Herod's death was at 4 BC. And so the place to look for the Bethlehem star is in 5, 6, or 7 BC. Okay, because you have to have Herod alive because he's part of the Christmas story. So it has to be preceding his death. He has to be alive in order to play his role within it. Now, I used too strong of a word when I said, if you look in, at 5, 6, and 7 BC, you come up with nothing. That's not true. You don't come up with that much. For example, Kepler came up with the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. However, some new information, a new perspective from scholars using this thing called textual criticism. And textual criticism just means you look at the writings of somebody and see how prior to the printing press, monks would copy these things by hand. And so you can tell if some monk in 500 AD fell asleep at one in the morning and skipped a line in what he was copying. The poor guy. Uh, Scholars can know for years, centuries later, that's the guy that made the mistake. And all the copies from his copy now have this mistake. And so there are many that believe that the older, more reliable manuscripts of the writings of Josephus seem to infer that King Herod's death was not in 4 B.C., but in 1 B.C. And if it's in 1 B.C., then you look at the night sky in 2 or 3 B.C., and the sky literally explodes when you do that. Now you say, hey, wait a minute, Glenn. I thought we weren't supposed to talk about astrology or anything of that nature. Absolutely. You guys know, I don't believe we should be looking at our horoscopes or Ouija boards or anything to do with the occult. We should run away from that. There is no adopting and transforming with regard to occult practices, okay? You just leave them alone. You separate from them. However, the Bible talks often about there being signs in the heavens. Now, it's the difference between a, uh, believing that the stars determine your future and believing that God has put signs there to confirm God's word, the, the Bible. It's the difference between those two. It's like the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. A thermostat controls the temperature in the room. And so if you believe that stars are like a thermostat that controls your future destiny, absolutely forbidden within Scripture. On the other hand, if it's like a thermometer... That is, it simply reads what God is doing within the room, okay? Just reads the temperature. If the stars are simply signs as to what God's up to, the Bible talks about that all the time. 
As a matter of fact, in what may be the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, it says, he, God, Job says, is the maker of the bear, which is the Big Dipper, and Orion. Maybe you've seen Orion's belt, the three stars in a row in the sky, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the south. Job 38, God says, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? So God takes credit for the constellations. Isaiah 40, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. God never loses one of the stars. He never goes like us losing our keys or our cell phone. Oh my goodness, where did I stick that galaxy? It was just sitting here. Uh, Kimberly, please call my solar system. I lost the thing, would you? And make it ring so I can run the thing down. Uh, It says not one of them is missing. And not only God knew uh, where all the stars are, the people of that time, they knew their sky much better than we do. Because there was very little light pollution, very little air pollution, they could see so much more clearly than we could. And they were outdoors much more. As a matter of fact, on a warm summer's night, they might sleep on the roof because it was so hot in their houses. And so they'd fall asleep under the stars. And certainly shepherds and those that worked outdoors would do that as well. David spent years of his life out with the sheep looking at the stars. And so people of that time, they knew the sky backwards and forwards. They were very aware of it. Next page of your study outline. That's why David says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 10. He says, do people know that there's a God? He says, their voice has gone out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. He quotes David. And he says, if anybody has looked at a starry night, they know there's a God. They know when they look at that creation that there must be a creator. And there are other signs as well. Jesus said in Luke 21, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And so now we look at Matthew chapter 2, and we will look for clues that are here. There are nine clues with regard uh, to the Bethlehem star. It says that magi or wise men, we'll talk more about them this evening, uh, come from the east, okay? And they say, where is he that is born? So they're looking for a birth. The king, they're looking for a king of the Jews, uh, of the Jewish nation. So you see, Jewish nation, king, and birth. We saw a star when it rose. Now, when it rose in the original Greek means in the east, because other than the polar star, uh, stars appear to rise in the east. And so there are other stars like the polar star, the north star, that does not appear to rise. But the other stars appear to rise in the east. It literally, the Greek word means in the east. We have come to worship him. Now, why would they want to worship him? Now, this is just a theory, but if you look at the end uh, beyond in your study outline, Matthew chapter 2, you'll see that there was this fellow by the name of Philo, who was a Jewish philosopher uh, from 30 B.C. to 45 A.D. He lived in Alexandria, Egypt, and he refers in his writings to an eastern school of magi that was highly regarded. And there are some who believe that these are the descendants 
of Daniel, because Daniel was skilled in astronomy as well. And he was a Jewish young man that was taken in exile uh, to that part of the world, Iran, Persia, Iran, um, and then uh, Assyria and, and Babylon, which Babylon is in today, Iraq. Uh, Babylon is just south of Baghdad in Iraq. And so these, he never went home. He, Daniel never went back to Israel once again. So maybe these are either using his writings or descendants of his, this highly respected Eastern school of the Magi. And so the reason why they wanted to come to worship him is because they were Jewish descendants of Daniel and his friends and the others that were with him there in exile in that part of the world. We want to see where the Messiah is to be born. And so they answer him in Bethlehem, according to an ancient prophecy from hundreds of years ago uh, from Micah, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Okay, so it's out of the tribe of Judah, uh, which you see later in a later passage that he's the lion's cub. Uh, Judah is the lion. The scepter will not depart from Judah in Genesis chapter 49. Uh, we want to know the exact time that the star appeared. So they want to know the exact timing of it. And so they send them to Bethlehem based on this ancient prophecy from Micah. Now, another interesting clue is that Herod had no idea about this star. That's going to be important in just a minute. They go from Jerusalem, which Bethlehem is due south. It's only five miles. I know that because when I was studying in Jerusalem one summer, some buddies of mine and I, we were down in Bethlehem. And instead of catching the bus back to Jerusalem where we were living, uh, we were all runners and we had our running clothes with us. So we ran from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. And it's mainly uphill, but it's an easy run from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. And Bethlehem, you can almost see it from Jerusalem, is due south from Jerusalem. So he sends them to Bethlehem, but he didn't know the timing or the existence of the star, which is also significant. It says in verse 9, the star they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them. Okay, now they're in Jerusalem, looking south to Bethlehem, and it stopped. Now, how can a star stop? That's another clue. And then when they finally get there in verse 11, they come to a house. They're no longer at the manger, but it's later on, and now Jesus is in a house. Okay, putting all those nine clues together, what could it be? A shooting star? Probably not, because a shooting star is over in a moment. And, and it does not stop either. A shooting star, it just, it flames out and it doesn't stop. It just shoots and then it's gone in a matter of seconds. How about a comet? Well, there are no good candidates for a comet from Chinese astronomers. One of the best astronomers of that time were the Chinese. And the Chinese astronomers, in their ancient records from this time, there are no good candidates in that realm, in that time period of comets. Now, here's another big clue. Herod had to ask uh, what, he didn't know anything about this star. And everybody knew when a comet was coming back then. Comets were big deals. They were seen as omens of doom. I mean, even in ancient cave paintings, whenever you have a comet, you have all the animals and the people running in terror from the comet. It's from the very beginning seen as an omen of doom. As a matter of fact, Halley's Comet, when it came, uh, to, uh, when it came in 1910, historians tell us the churches were packed. I mean, this was every pastor's dream to be here when Haley's Comet came through because the churches were just jammed because people were really afraid of that comet. So everybody knew it. Herod would have known it 
if it had been a comet. How about a nova, an exploding star? Well, they don't move. They are stationary in relationship to the background of the fixed stars. What we believe it most likely was was what's called a wandering star or a planet. The Greek word for planet literally means a wanderer. Because the planets appear to wander around and through, and they reverse themselves in what's called retrograde motion. They tend to wander, move around and through the background of fixed stars. And they appear to stop at times because of what we call retrograde motion. Um, You can see this right here, where they're going in one direction, and they appear to stop and then reverse in the opposite direction. Now, the reason that happens is the same phenomenon if you're on the 10 freeway and you're passing a car. For just a moment, that car will appear to stop in relationship to you and the background behind it, and then it'll appear to be going backwards in relation to you. It's not really going backwards, just relative to you, it's going backwards. And so a car will be, you know, appear to be coming towards you, then stop, and then proceed behind you. That's retrograde motion, and it's why the stars appear sometimes to stop and then to reverse course. Now you put all that together with uh, the the prophecy in Genesis 49 that Judah, the lion, the scepter will not depart from Judah. You look at Revelation chapter 12. We'll dig into that a little bit more tonight. Is this talking about a future event or is it talking about a past event? Is what John seeing, is he seeing the dragon, which his representative would be Herod, trying to kill the birth of a son by Mary, a male child who is called to rule the nations with an iron scepter and how God protected the Christ child with Mary once he was born from Herod under the influence of Satan, uh, the dragon. Now all this God did to point you to his son, Jesus Christ. To point us to his son, Jesus. And that's why we launch into this season by sharing the Lord's Supper. Uh, The blood that was represented by the cup and his body on the cross represented by the bread. And we do this in remembrance of him and we do this until he comes back once again. Everybody here is welcome to share the Lord's Supper. You just need to know that you're a follower of Jesus. You say, Glenn, if I'd like to do that, uh, how would I do it today? Or how do I know if I've done it in the past? Well, if you look on the next page from your study outline in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see the three steps the Bible says we need to take to be followers of Jesus. And then there's a little suggested prayer there. And if you've ever prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or if you'd like to pray it today, what better way to prepare to celebrate Christmas 2014 than to open up your heart to the Christ of Christmas? And if you pray that prayer, then you can outwardly show it. You pray it silently in your heart, but then you can outwardly show it by taking the bread and taking the cup as a way of outwardly showing that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you'd like something to encourage you in your walk with Jesus, after the service is over at the guest center in the south end of the lobby and the north end of the lobby, we've got a packet of resources that will help you in your walk with Jesus. And I encourage you, if you pray that prayer, uh, to take those resources as a way to encourage you. If you'd like to talk to somebody, somebody will be there. You don't have to talk to them, but if you'd like to, they can give you further encouragement in ways that you can grow in your walk with Jesus. So I tell you what, Pete, could we put that prayer up there? And just before we go into the Lord's Supper, that invitation prayer, um, I want to put that up there. And would you pray this silently right now uh, as I pray it out loud? Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. 
I believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And he proved it by rising from death. And then as you're praying silently with me, as I pray out loud, I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for coming 2,000 years ago, for being born in Bethlehem, for living a perfect life and then dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, in preparation for Christmas, I want to receive your free gift and give you the only gift you want in return, which is, a, which is my heart, which is my life. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And all God's family said, amen. Let's take just a moment and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.